Amen. Praise God. The old-time preachers used to call this podium a Bible stand, whatever you want to call it. They would call it the sacred desk. Someone referred to it that way. And they had great respect for standing behind this place to bring the Word of God. I read a statement today from Pastor Nancy Dufresne. She pastors in California for 25 years or more. She's turned it to her children now, and grandchildren, I guess, and she's on the road a lot. And she was quoting a statement that a minister, and she didn't name him, but I thought it was Dad Hagen. I don't, I'm, I'm not sure, but uh, it sounded like that's what he would say, what I'm about to tell you. She said, a minister for 70 years, that's a long time to minister, 70 years, and said he uh, made a statement why are we not seeing today, I don't know how long ago this statement could have been, maybe 30 years ago, because Dad Hagen's been in heaven. Uh, this coming September will be 20 years. So this statement could have been made 30 years ago or 40 years ago. He said, uh, why are we not seeing today, let's, let's say 40 years ago, and then bring it right on up to tonight, why are we not seeing today what we what we should be seeing and what was seen and taught and ministered like in the Azusa Street meetings uh, in 1904, 1906 and other great revivals, the healing revivals. He said, somebody asked him, why are we not seeing that today? He said, lack of dedication and consecration that those people had that seemed like this, this generation, let's say he said that 40 years ago, didn't have. Well, if that generation 40 years ago didn't have it, then that means me and you got a lot of catching up to do so that God can move the way he wants to move. Now, there's a lot of scriptures have a twofold meaning. They have a meaning of Christ's likeness, his character, his attributes, his nature, and then they have another meaning of his anointing, his gifts, the way he ministered, the authority that he operated in, and things of that nature. Just like, for example, our first scripture tonight is uh, in uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. We're going to read it in two translations. We're going to read the King James, and then we'll read it in the Passion Translation. So Romans chapter 8 and verse 29 in the King James, here's what it says. For whom, for whom he did foreknow, he for also... For whom Jesus did foreknow, talking about us... He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Okay, he, he, he foreknew us and he predestinated, pre-planned that we would be conformed to the image of his very own son. That's his character, his nature, his love, his desire to please the father and those things, plus how he ministered by yielding to the Holy Ghost and doing everything and, and exercising his authority that he had here on earth. So that's a twofold meaning. Predestined us to be conformed, likened unto, that's what that means, his own son. All right? That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now notice Jesus was the firstborn of many brethren, not the first one raised from the dead, but the firstborn from the dead. What does that mean? 
He entered the death experience, the spiritual death experience, separated from God because he carried our sins, bore our sins, and that separated him from God. And then if you are separated from God and are full of sin, our sins that he bore, then he went to hell in our place because of those sins. But he was raised from the dead, and he was the firstborn from the dead, not the first, as we said, raised from the dead. So that means Jesus is our elder brother or the firstborn or the first member of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the first member, the very first member. And uh, that makes me and you in that same family. Read on. He went to do the trans, um, passion. passion translation. Okay. Now listen to this. You'll like this. For he knew all about us before he we were born. He knew all about us even before we was born. Think about that. And he, des and he destined us from the beginning to share the likeness of his son. I, that was his idea. That was his plan. That was his purpose. For us to share the likeness of his son, the Lord Jesus. All right, read on. This means the son is the oldest among a that vast... That means Jesus was the oldest... Among a vast family of brothers and sisters. A great family of God, of brothers and sisters in Christ. Who will become just like him. What? Who will become just like him. Who will become just like him. Now, my oldest brother would be uh, this coming September, the second... He was born in 19 and 22, so that would make him 101 year old, wouldn't it? This September, the second, yeah. He would be 101 year old this September, my oldest brother, mama's first child. And he was a preacher when I was a little boy. Good preacher. Pray of a storm, as we could say. So if, if I'm going to be like him, I would have to look like him somewhat, pray like him, preach like him, and since he was my oldest brother, people that would see me later on say, man, you're, you're just like your oldest brother. You're a dead ringer for him, we would say, down in the country. Well, I didn't favor my oldest brother. I favored the people on my mama's side more. So if you saw my oldest brother standing beside me here, uh, we wouldn't look that much alike. I was quite a bit taller than him. He was darker skinned than me. He was more, dad was dark skinned, so he was more like that side. And mama was fair skinned, so I'm more like her side. I favored some of her brothers more than I did my two first brothers. I got a sister that's four years younger than me. We look almost like twins. <laughs> and uh, she's, she's uh, 77. So Jesus is the firstborn, the first brother of a large family of brothers and sisters that we are, read the last line, we are predestined. Fast uh, brothers and sisters who will become just like him. To become just like him. Is that your goal? That's my goal. To become like him, not only in his character, like I said, his attributes and his nature, but also the way he ministered how he ministered, with the authority that he had, the anointing that he has. Now let me go ahead. I'm getting ahead of myself, but I want to quote this scripture. You got the King James Bible, Brother Jason? Uh, Regina, you got the King James Bible. Look at, well, let's, let, let's not get ahead of ourselves this far. Let's, let's stop, start at the stop, top. 
all right, since we are predestined to be like Jesus in character and nature and ministry and lifestyle, that's our example, and that's what God wants, so then we're going to have to know how he ministered and ministered the way he did it. So the first, ver first verse is what, baby? John 14, 12. Here's what Je God the Father said about the Lord Jesus. John 14, 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth in me. He that believeth on me. The works. That I do, he shall do also. All the works. That, now, that's John chapter 14. If you keep reading, go on up to John chapter 15, start with about verse 7, you'll find in that chapter, 15th chapter, about 11 times it talks about the works that Jesus did. And here we are back in John 14, 12. He that believeth on me, the works that I did shall he do also. God expects ministers, particularly the fivefold ministry, but not just the fivefold yeah. ministry. He expects us to work the works that Jesus did the way he did them. And then the fame will spread abroad about the works of God, not about us. We don't want a fame about our own personality and draw attention to ourselves, but we want people drawn to God. If Jesus said, if I be lifted up, that's talking about dying on the cross, but there's a twofold meaning there as well. If I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. Well, that's already happened. He already died on the cross and he has drawn many whosoever will. But there's another way he can be lifted up. In us daily, particularly in the fivefold ministry in the pulpit, where the people should see the works of Jesus or relate to, that's the way Jesus did it. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. And the more that we're like him, the more that we minister like him, the more that we live like him, the more results we'll have and people will be drawn unto him through us. Can you say amen? Brother Swaggart's got a song and all I know is the title. I don't know another verses. He's got a song he sung years ago called Jesus Be Jesus in Me. You ever heard him sing that many, many years ago? I think he recorded about in the 80s, somewhere back there. Jesus, be Jesus in me. We know Jesus was Jesus in, in Galilee. We know Jesus was Jesus in Capernaum. We know Jesus was Jesus in the temple. But here's the song, title of the song, Jesus, be Jesus in me in alphabetics. Jesus, be me, Jesus in me every time I take a microphone. Not just when I take a microphone, but Jesus, be Jesus in me 24-7. Hallelujah. And we're progressing to that place. Hallelujah. I don't know nobody is there. I don't, Paul even said himself, he said, I'm not even attained. I'm not even reached that place yet. But I press forward to that mark, that high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. So we're to be like him. Glory to God. And minister like him. He said, so he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also for, and greater works than these shall shall he do. That's greater in a quantity, not quality. Greater the works than he shall do because I go to my Father. All right, next verse. Acts 10, 38. How did he do these works? We're going to know how he did them. <coughs> Let me take just a few minutes and I'll hurry the best I can. When it gets 8 o'clock, some of you let me know. If you have to roll across the floor in front of me or whistle. <laughs> A whistle, a cough, or slap your hands or something. I, I'm trying to let you out. 
and be in the parking lot by two or three minutes past eight. I don't want to over, you know, just go and go and go. I could. I feel like I, you know, and I want to, but it's not wisdom to, to just go and go and go. So here it is, and uh, here's how he did these works. In Luke 10, 38, how God, the Father, anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost and power. What kind of power? Healing power, miracle working power. Who went about, Jesus went about doing good and healing all, not just a few, not just several, but healing all that was oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. That's how he did it. So that's, that's, then if he wants us to do it the way he did it, we've got to find a scripture that says so. So John chapter 20 and verse 21 says, let's look down there at that one, sweetheart, just down at the bottom. John 20. John 20 and verse 21. Okay. Then said Jesus to them again. This is, when, uh, this is 40 days now after he's raised from the dead. He's still here on earth. And he appeared to uh, some of them several times in different manners and different ways. Mm -hmm. At one time, he appeared to 500 people after, after he was crucified. So here he is. He's appearing to some of these fellows again in John chapter 20, verse 21. And he says, Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. Listen to that. As my Father sent me, even so send I you. Well, we just read in Acts 8, 10, 38, how the Father sent him. And he says, as the Father sent me, so send I you. So we're supposed to be doing what he did. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I have, I've been around a long time. I, I got saved in 1962. That's a long time ago. I found out that I was called to preach not long after I was born again, but I didn't know how I could. It didn't seem like God had, uh, you know, looked like he'd made a mistake and called the wrong person to preach him. In fact, I told him one day as I was walking to the cotton mill, I was working in a cotton mill, South Carolina, walked, didn't have no car at that time. And I told him, I said, looks like you made a mistake calling me to preach. I said, you didn't make a mistake calling Oral Roberts, that's obvious. I'm talking to the Lord in my, out of my own self, you know, as I walk the street, go to the cotton mill. I said, it's obvious you didn't make no mistake in calling Billy Graham. But it sure does look like you've made a mistake in calling me. I don't have a car. I couldn't drive one if I did have one. I don't have much education. Uh, you know, I look like I'm disqualified automatically from being a preacher like you want, like you need. And it seemed like the Holy Spirit said back to me, uh, Gabe, I knew you was four years born. I predestined and planned before you was born that you'd preach. I know all about your weaknesses and strengths, but I still called you. And you know I found out he never did call anybody that was perfect because there wasn't none but Jesus himself. So everybody had flaws, everybody had uh, mistakes, and everybody, you know, many of them felt, felt like they could not do what God called them to do. Even Moses, the great prophet Moses, you know, God told him what he wanted him to do, and he said, I can't do that. I said, send Aaron, my brother, said, I, I don't even speak well. said, I'm just a poor sheep herder. I, I stutter. <laughs> Some people said Moses stuttered, I don't know. But God knew, and he called him anyway. Amen. 
Is that right? Now, he does call the high-educated and the well-trained and the well uh, people that's very good at uh, communication, so to speak, and they're good at uh, uh, speaking and pronounce the words like I'm thinking of uh, Dirk Prince, (laughs) one of the finest preachers uh, that you could ever hear in all your lifetime. And uh, years ago, I said, when I found out I was called to preach, and I'm not going to be able to get out of it. God's going to judge me whether I do it or not. I'm going to stand before him for, for the call if I do it or don't do it. So I said one day, now, I said, now, if I could minister like Pat Robertson, 700 Club, you know, he knows all about taxes and and uh, things of this nature, and he knows all about the stock market, and plus he's gifts of the Spirit operating through him. He knows the Bible real well, and he's articulated his speech real well. Boy, if I could be like Pat Robinson, I sure could be a success. But, you know, I wasn't born to be like Pat Robinson. And then I I remember the Lord just reminded me, Wigglesworth didn't even go to school. You did go. You did go to school. Wigglesworth didn't even go. He couldn't read until he was a grown man. His sister and his wife taught him how to read. He never read anything when they taught him. He never read anything but a Bible. No magazine of no kind, no newspaper of any kind. He just didn't read anything except the Bible itself. He said, Brother Lester Summerall tells a story. When he was a young man, he was visiting Mr. Wigglesworth. And Brother Summerall had a newspaper under his arm. And he'd been to Mr. Wigglesworth's home before, so he came to the door, you know. And, of course, he never had a newspaper before under his arm. And uh, greeted Mr. Wigglesworth, and they were going to go in. And Wigglesworth was in front of him to go in the living room from the porch. And he turned and said, leave that thing outside. Brother Summerall thought, what thing? That newspaper. That's yesterday's news anyway. Most of it's lies. I don't want it in my house. Leave it out here. So he left it out on the porch. <laughs> so he didn't read anything except the Bible. And he was one of the most powerful men that ever has ministered that we know of in 150 years or more was Smith Wigglesworth and was grown before he could read. Hallelujah. So let me tell you how I got started. Since I was walking the road to the cotton mills, praying and telling God that, I, you know, you made a mistake calling me. I can't do this. Uh, in 1972, I was 30 years old. The very week that I was 30 years old, 1972, there was a meeting came to Greenville, where I live, Greenville, South Carolina. Two preachers came. One came and preached the first week, and, and when his week was over, his preaching buddy that they worked together came to finish the second week, and I was there every night. It was in an old skating rink, roller skates, you know. So I'm sitting there the first week, and the preacher that was preaching, he's about my age. He, he has a church in, somewhere in Texas now, and uh, he pointed to me and said, uh, the men in the black suit with the red tie, blonde hair, had a lot of blonde hair back in 1972, like Porter Wagner had. Oh, I liked my hair. I combed it all back, you know, it's thick and wavy. And he said, stand up, sir. I stood up. And he said, 
your life is fixing to change. Said God has a plan for you. And your life is fixing to change. Brother said some more things I don't remember all, all that he said. And I sat back down. Well, that's a breakthrough. That's an opening door. That's a breakthrough. My life is going to change. I don't know how. I don't know. You know, I'm excited. I'm thrilled. I thank God for it. His meeting was up. He left. The other preacher came in. He was ministering. And he pointed to me one night. I was sitting about the same place in that roller skate place. And he pointed to me and said, uh, come down here. The other one just told me to stand where I was seated. He said, come down here, young man. I went down, stood in front of him. He said, uh, I have a preacher friend that has a tent ministry. And he said, he's looking for a man to work with him, what they called at that time the front man. Start the meeting, sing the songs, make announcements, do all you can do and get the uh, meeting ready for the preacher. And he said, this friend of mine, he called his name. I'd heard the name come up a time or two, but I never knew him, never met him, didn't know I ever would. And he said, this friend of mine is J.T. Simmons from Greenville, Alabama, he said. I'll contact him and tell him I found a man that he's looking for. Now, this preacher knew that I led singing for churches and for some revivals. He knew that I had that talent, that gift, or that anointing. Or he wouldn't have called me down there. He already knew that. It wasn't strange to him. And uh, so that was in March of 1972. I was 30 years old that week. So in July, just a few months up the road, I'm holding a meeting myself in uh, Wilmington, North Carolina, in the National Guard Armory. And my brother calls me from Greenville, where we all live. And he said, Brother J.T. Simmons has come to town with his tent. He's going to start Sunday evening at 2.30, 2 o'clock, I believe. He wants you to be there to have him in this meeting. I said, well, you have to come and get me. Uh, I'll close Friday night. You come and get me. We'll go home Saturday. So he did. I went out to the tent Sunday evening on Cedar Laden Road in Greenville where everybody put the tents at that time. Walked behind the tent. I heard a man over in the woods praying. Couldn't see him. Thick wood, you know, I heard him just pouring his heart out to God praying. That was Brother Simmons. I, I was behind the tent, and his uh, young man came up to me, and he said, you Douglas Cooper? And I said, yes, sir. He said, I'm Rex Simmons, Brother Simmons' old son. He said, that's my dad out there in the woods praying. He said, at 2 o'clock, our organ player was already on the organ playing. It was just about 10 minutes till 2 or something like that. He said, at 2 o'clock, go up and start the meeting. You know what to do. And I said, all right. He said, you'll hear my dad come back here. Curtain, you know, behind there. He said, you can't see him. But he said, you'll hear my dad back here. And when you hear him, uh, praising the Lord, and you know, you, you'll recognize he's back here. He said, sing one more song and bring him on the platform. I said, okay. So we sung a couple of songs. And then I heard Brother Simmons back behind the curtain. And I told the congregation, we'll sing one more song and introduce our evangelist this afternoon, Brother J.C. Simmons. So I sung the song. He stepped through the curtain. First time I ever saw him. First time he ever saw me. He's a little guy. About like Brother Ramsey that comes here on Sunday morning. Brother, uh, a small fellow like that. And I reached the microphone to him. He started preaching just wide open. Just said, open your Bibles to such and such and started preaching. 
about 15 minutes into his sermon, maybe 10, wasn't very far, here come a woman from the parking lot you could hear way out yonder, beyond the tent, screaming like she'd been in a yellow jacket's nest or something or got burnt. She was just screaming a hideous scream and kept coming closer to the tent. 1972, July. And she ran under the tent and ran right straight up to the platform right here where Brother Simmons was preaching. I'm still sitting on the platform with three or four folding chairs, organ players down here. Nobody on the platform but me. He's preaching. And she ran up, uh, come right straight on down to the altar, to the front, and he met her here. He stepped a couple steps off the platform and met her on the one-yard line. And he kept her from getting into the end zone until he got her saved. <laughs> so so he, had, he was a straddle of her, praying, rebuking the devil. And uh, all of a sudden, that screaming, that hideous screaming changed to, thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord, for salvation. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you, Jesus. And he turned and looked at me up on the platform, motioned me to come down there. I came down, got down the side of him. She's still laying on her back. And she's practically half drunk. See, I couldn't smell it from the platform. She smells terrible and looks terrible. And she's got on red polyester pants in 1972. They're tight as a banjo string. Her old Scruggs and his banjo. If she had a pimple right there, you could see it because that's how tight it was. <laughs> and... Uh, she was praising God. She was saved. She was delivered. She smelled terrible, looked terrible, but she was in. She got born again from the inside out. She was a new creature. She was now my sister. And he had a baptistry there, right, right over to the left. And he said, Brother Cooper, get her up and baptize her. He's already full, you know, ready to go. And I said to him, I was whispering, I said to him, because nobody wore pants in 1972 to our circles and our meetings, women, you know. Long dresses and long hair like the, you know, the old days. And there she was, the only woman in the whole crowd with these tight pants on and smelling like a beer keg. And he says, uh, get her up and baptize her. And I said to him, I said, Brother Simmons, let her come back tomorrow night, which would be Monday night. It won't be on Sunday night because this is Sunday afternoon service. I said, let her come back tomorrow night in a dress and we'll baptize her. And he looked at me real funny, like, what bus did you get off of? <laughs> and he scolded me, talked a little loud. He said, baptize her now. I said, yes, sir. So I motioned for a guy to get on the front road that I knew. I lived there for years. He came up to help me baptize her. We're explaining to her what we're doing. He went right back to preaching. Speakers right there close to that water, that baptismal pool. I can't hardly hear what I'm saying to her to explain, you know, what we're doing because of the speaker so close, and he's just wide open right back at it in high gear. And we got her baptized, and the Holy Ghost fell in that tent. It was a 60 by 120, seat about 500 people. And it wasn't quite that many there, but it's a real good crowd. Probably, I'd say 350, 350 people probably. Holy Ghost fell as he was preaching, and they started coming from all over that tent to be baptized. And somebody counted. I couldn't count. They said when it was over, we baptized 72 on a Sunday evening, July 1972. First time I ever saw the tent preacher that I worked for for several years. That's a good way to get started. 
Don't you think that's a good way to get started? All right, let's read another verse here. Don't forget when it comes 8 o'clock. <laughs> what is it? That was, that, that was John 20, okay. as my Father sent me, so send I you. Matthew 10, 1. Now, here's what Jesus, here's what he, here's what he did when he called his first group of preachers to send out. He called 12 of them. He called disciples. They later became apostles, and they were the apostles of the Lamb. This was Matthew 10 and 1. In Luke 10 and 1, it repeats the same thing. And then in Luke 11 and 17, he calls 70 more. That makes 82 now he's got to send out. So here's what he said to these 12. And he says that to everybody that he's ever called, whether they've ever did it or not. That's their assignment. Mm -hmm. That's what they're supposed to do. Here's what he said in, in uh, uh, Matthew 10, 1. And when he had called unto him... His 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits. See, they didn't have it. To cast them out. Gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out. And to heal all men. That's of what sickness. he did to that girl that day. He cast that alcoholic demon out of her. Just in a minute or so. From the time she got up to the front. He said he gave them power to cast out unclean spirits. To heal all manner of uh, sickness. Heal all what? All manner of sickness. Heal all manner of sickness. And all manner of disease. And all manner of disease. Well, what about COVID-19? Well, take their temperature to the door, and if they got a temperature, tell them to go up to the hospital. Can you see Peter taking somebody's temperature and says, and Jesus said, how high is it? Peter says, it's, it's, 90, it's a 201. And Jesus said, get her out, get her to the hospital right quick. Luke's the doctor, get her over there. I can't do nothing for her. No, you know that wouldn't be so. Said, take, he said, I give you power and authority over all demons and all devils, over all manner of all sickness and all disease. Mm -hmm. What else? Then Luke 9. Yeah. Luke 9. More. Same thing, Luke 9. What's the next verse, baby? Just skip that one. Okay. Um. This must be Mark 16, 17 through 20. Oh, here's the commission. Here's the great commission for all of us, particularly fivefold ministry. Jesus is about ready to be carried away into heaven just in a few minutes. He's there at the Mount of Olives, and he's took his disciples out that far, and he's given them last instructions. This is the last instruction that he gave before he left here in the cloud of glory. And he said in Luke and Mark, rather, chapter 16 and verse 17 through 20, what did he say? And these signs shall follow them that believe. Now notice, this is not just preachers. Mm -hmm. It's whosoever believes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So let's not just limit it to fivefold ministry. Let's not just limit it to Brother Simmons or Jack Cole or Roberts. These signs shall follow them that believe. What, what, what kind of signs? In my name shall they cast out devils. They Notice that's first. My name shall they, in my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. We do that every day, don't we? I ain't cast out a devil a long time. I ain't seen nobody with one. I'm sure there's plenty of people around that's got some. But I, I, I hadn't run into anybody lately that's got a devil. And I hope I don't run into nobody. Walmart's got one. <laughs> <laughs> but you could. Yeah. 
And if you do, and if the Holy Ghost moves on you, you're supposed to cast it out of them. Yeah. You, but, but you've got to get their permission. They may not want it out. Some of them don't. Some of them want to hold on to those devils and those habits that they got, and they don't want free. I, I, I know of a meeting, uh, no minister that was in the meeting in Georgia years ago, and they were casting the devil out of a lady. She really had devils in her. And they were casting them out, and she, the devil in her was using her voice and arguing, and you know, said, I ain't coming out, and so on and so forth. And the preacher kept saying, yes, you will. Yes, you are in the name of Jesus. And finally the demon in her realized that I'm going to have to leave. So now this, uh, this is a true story. So she said, can I go in Lois? And they said, who's Lois? Said her sister-in-law, somebody said. And somebody else spoke up and said, no, don't let her go in loss. Loss is already loaded. <laughs> That's true story. Well, when Jesus was going to cast the devils out of that man in uh, uh, the madman of Gadara, as we call him, Gethsemane, you know, went over there to a land called Gethsemane, I believe you pronounce it. And this man lived in the tombs. Night and day you could hear him crying. Lived out there in the graveyards. Nobody could do anything for him. He may have had a wife and kids. We know he had a mother and dad somewhere. Now he's probably still living. He lived out there in the tombs. And he was demon-possessed. A few times they bound him with chains and fetters, and he'd just break them just like this uh, rotten string, as we'd say. So nobody could tame him. And Jesus got off the boat, and he saw Jesus when Jesus got off the boat and he ran to it, even though he's so full of the devil, his own spirit, his own soul still wanted delivered and he had enough of willpower in himself to, to run to Jesus to get some help. And of course he did, you know, and the demons began to speak out of it and said, uh, uh, we are legion for we are many. That wasn't a man's name. That was the name of the demon that was in him. Legion. We are many. And uh, Jesus told him, you know, they're going to have to leave him. I'm paraphrasing. And they didn't want to leave that region. Those dem demons didn't. They'd been there for years. In that region was some idol worship to a god that was called Zeus. And there was a herd of swine there that people were feeding and taking care of. And this god of Zeus and the people that worshiped this god would take this blood from these uh, hogs and offers, you know, to worship this demon god. And that's the reason those spirits didn't want to leave that region. They said, if you do cast us out, don't send us away from this region. Said, send us into the hogs. And Jesus said, go, and of course they did. And of course, you know, the hogs went down the steep hill into the lake, which was, uh, uh, what's that famous lake over there? Galilee, Sea of Galilee. Sometimes it's called a lake, sometimes it's called a sea. And they drowned it. Hogs can't swim. But demons don't drown. They're still around. All those hogs died that day. But those demons are still around somewhere. I guess they're still in that region. That's where they said they wanted to stay. Is that right? Hallelujah. See, we've got to realize that this demon world is real. But the God world, the angel world, the Jesus world, the blood of the lamb world, the word of God world, the anointing of the Holy Ghost world is also real. And we have authority over that other world. 
Amen. And that's the reason that we need to minister like Jesus ministered and live like Jesus lived so we get the results that Jesus got. Hallelujah. And if we're not getting the results, I'm talking about myself as well as anybody, if we're not getting the full results that we ought to be getting, you know whose fault it is? The guy that you see when you brush your teeth in the mirror. Just his and hers, not God's. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So the church I believe with all of my heart, particularly a church like this, and the pastor that we have and the gospel that we hear and what's put on the table here and the people that come here, Brother Mark and others, and then the people that we refer to, like Wigglesworth and Brother uh, Hagen, Brother Summerall, and people like this, if we're going to move into the place and minister like they did, then we're going to have to live like they lived. And Miss Billy Brim said this some time ago. She said, if you want what they had, you're going to have to do what they did. Amen. And I believe, I started to say this, I believe that a, a whole company and a body of people, a remnant, of course, not, not the whole body of Christ nationwide or worldwide, but just a remnant, a few here and a few there and a few yonder and a few here. I believe a remnant is hungering and thirsting and moving and changing and positioning themselves this very hour that we're living in now to be promoted and propelled into a place where we can minister to us like I'm talking about. And it's not that far away. And it's not that great a price to pay because Jesus paid the ultimate price. But there is a price that people like me and you need to pay if we're going to have what they had. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. So it's, is it eight? Hallelujah. Well, we said we'd let you out and get you in the parking lot at eight, and I'm nowhere near through. I could go to 930 at least, but we won't. Are you hungry for God? Hallelujah. So, let me pray for you. That's what I'm trying to say. Father, we do pray for each individual here. There's some people called here, Lord, to the ministry, just like myself and others, to the fivefold ministry. And then there's everybody's called to preach in some sense of the word, to proclaim, to announce Jesus as Lord, and witness to people. Get them saved, get them born again. Everybody's called to do that. But some people are called specifically to places and rooms that they can operate from. Like Pastor Greg operates from the room of the pastor and the room of the teacher. One on one side of the hall, one on the other side of the hall. He'll come out of one room and minister, and he'll come out of the other room and minister. Hallelujah. Some minister like Brother Mark and Miss Trina. Some uh, in the past, have ministered like the great legends that we talk about. Miss Kuhlman, Catherine Kuhlman. What a ministry she had. Everywhere she went, it was packed and jammed. If she was living today, and it was announced that she was going to be in Richmond next Saturday and Sunday, the building would be packed and jammed because they would know if I can get to Miss Kuhlman's meeting, something great can happen. And the reason people are not packing them out today is they just don't believe there's not that much there. So, Lord, that's their fault to some degree. 
That's all of our fault to some degree. I'm talking about the whole body of Christ. So Lord, we ask you to bring us up to another place in God. Help us, Lord, to hunger and thirst for you. Because the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro throughout the whole earth to show yourself strong in behalf of a heart, a soul, a, a person, a, anyone who is sold out to you. Hallelujah. That poor man in, in, in the madman of Gadara case, how did he get so many demons, Lord? How did he end up possessed so much like that? Yielding to wrong things and doing wrong things. And the devil had a door and he went in and he took many with him and he called himself legion. Well, if that could happen on a bad scale and if that could happen demonically, then what could happen spiritually by the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit if we yielded to him? There's nine gifts of the Spirit, nine manifestations, nine demonstrations, and they all ought to be operating through us at any given time, in any given place, in any given situation. So, Lord, help us to move into the Boschika. Help us to Boschakovarea. Help us to Boschakandilida. Help us to move into a place where it can happen. I've seen it to a degree. I've had it happen to a degree. But, Lord, nothing like what is available and should be. So, as Wigglesworth would cry out, Empty of me and fill with thee. Hallelujah. All right, stand with me. I'm about ready to dismiss. Brother Simmons told me he's in heaven now. He told me before he passed on. He said, Brother Cooper said, what we've seen is good, fine, and we thank God for it. He said, it's, it's so little, it's a trickle to what God wants to do. It'd be just like a, a drop in a bucket to what God wants to do in a flood, pour out a flood of his spirit. And he said to me, I may not live long enough to see it, but there's something coming that none of us have seen. And I may not know no sikaya. He said, I may not live. This is a motel, just been him. I may not live long enough to see it. But you've got a chance, Brother Cooper. Don't fail God. Don't fail God. Pay, pay whatever price it takes. Lay aside whatever you need to lay aside. Be whatever you need to be. Yield however you need to yield. Obey however you need to obey. But for somehow or another, for 30 years or so, the devil has rocked us to sleep with just good messages and buying a CD and buying a book and just let that be it. Well, thank God for all that. I got more books, I guess, than anybody in here. But that's not, that's not all of it. And CDs, that's not all of it. Hallelujah. So when you pray, boy, we had a good time yesterday in prayer school. One before here, five counting Miss Melanie, she was working here. Five of us. Man, we had a good time in praying. Hallelujah. So you can have a good time in praying by yourself, in your truck, in your car. You do. I know you do. Have some, have some moments that you just fellowship with God. It's just wonderful. But all of this needs to be not just once in a while, here and there, but a constant lifestyle. Amen. So we love you. We appreciate Freedom Word Church family. We thank God for our pastors, our team, our board members, everybody in the leadership position, children, children, church workers. What a place this is. Like Mark says, Pastor Greg, one of the best pastors on the, on the planet. <laughs> 
Hallelujah. And that's not stretching it. That's, that's really so. So if we, real quick, real quick, I got to close. I promised you I would. Done lied. I already told you lie, Brother Nick. Real quick, I was watching R.W. Schambach the other night. Well, a couple weeks ago. We watched about 10 or 12 of Brother Schambach's meetings. He's been in heaven now 11 years. And we was watching his meetings. And I got so stirred up because I saw some of that in the 60s and 70s myself, similar. And I got so stirred up, I cried out to God, Brother Jason. I said, Father God, Jesus, head of the church, you know the need more than anybody. I said, it seems to me that we need a thousand shamboks running across every city in America preaching like he did. You can do that, Lord. You can raise up people to have that kind of success, that kind of victory, that kind of anointing, that kind of, uh, you know, that, that just how he has it. Can I tell you just one before you go real quick? Fast as I can. I mean, give me a chance to tell you one. He was preaching in 1976. And uh, there was a young man that had been saved as a young boy. And he called to preach. He felt he was called to preach. And he backslid. And his denomination, I don't know what kind of denomination it was, his denomination told him, since you backslid, since you walked away from God, there's no way back and you'll never preach again. And so he lived like that then from this young age till he was looked like at that time maybe 30 years old. And uh, thought he would go to hell when he died, living just like the devil would want you to live. Him and his mother and his mother-in-law him and his wife, rather, and his mother-in-law were at his house drinking themselves into a stupor one night, and he turned on the TV, and Brother Schambach was on. Well, he didn't want to watch that, so he turned it, and he said something inside of him. He said, turn that back. See, the Holy Ghost is still there, even though he backslid. The Holy Ghost never leaves you, and the call of God never leaves you. He said, turn that back, and he turned it back to the station where Brother Schambach was, and Brother Schambach turned like he does, you know, and pointed at the cameras, and he said, you there, don't you turn that TV off. Don't you turn it to another station. God loves you, and there is a way back. He said, I see you sitting out there. You're drinking an old Milwaukee beer and smoking a pipe. God wants to save you and deliver you and put you back in order. And that man was sitting there with his wife and his mother-in-law, almost totally drunk, drinking another Milwaukee beer and smoking a pipe. He got up and went into his bedroom. He remembered as a young boy what it was like to serve God. So he laid down at the foot of the bed, crying out to God, God, is there really a way back? He said, I stayed in there about 15 minutes, laying on the floor, weeping, crying. God, is there really a way back? I've sinned so much. I've done so much. The whole town hates me. I've been so crooked, nobody downtown can trust me. I've done so many crooked deals. And he, he was just crying out to God. And he said, I felt like it. the Lord entered my room. I didn't see him. And he scooped me up out of the floor like you'd scoop up a little boy and take him to, the, to his bed. He maybe went to sleep at the foot of the bed and the floor. He said, I felt somebody scoop me up and hug me and said, I'm the way back. And he ran into the living room where his wife and his mother-in-law were still watching the rest of the Shambach's program. And he said, honey, I'm restored. I'm restored back to God. He's forgiven me. He's cleansed me. He said, tomorrow, Saturday, 
said, we're going to find the singing somewhere. Lived in a little town called uh, Albertville, Alabama. I know exactly where it is. I've been all over that part of Alabama. He's, he, they, they traveled all around Sunday evening, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, trying to find a singing convention, you know. Uh, not a convention, but a singing in a local church because there's a lot that went on back then in a little country town. He said every church we went to, doors shut, nobody singing, nobody having nothing. He said we passed the church of God three times, searching for a place to go in and worship God if, if they're having a singing. said, I told my wife, we're going to this church of God in the morning. So Sunday morning, they went to the church of God. Preacher preached. His wife went down to the altar, got saved, and got baptized in the Holy Ghost. And uh, he was in Shambach's meeting in Memphis, Tennessee, testifying to this. And Shambach said, 1976, Shambach said, what you doing now? He said, Shambach, we've stood, we have started five churches. And I'm not a pastor. I turn them over to somebody else. He said, we're working on a sixth one now. And said, it all happened when you pointed at me and said, you're drinking an old Milwaukee beer and smoking a pipe. That was a way back. Do you think like that can happen now? They should be. All over the country. Amen. So God bless you. We love you.